turn with me uh, to the book of Ephesians. Let's go to chapter 5, verses 21 through 33. We're looking at this topic now. Husbands, love your wife. As I mentioned in the beginning, before the prayer, how many husbands do we have here? Just spending some time in prayer this week and asking God uh, to speak to the hearts of the husbands because uh, the Bible teaches us that we are the prophet, uh, the priest, the king of the home. The responsibility from uh, Genesis chapter 2 as marriage was instituted, the responsibility has fallen upon men. And when you come to the book of Ephesians, most uh, men are just accustomed to verse 22. Uh, it says here that the wives are to be in submission uh, to her husband. And so they're quick to respond to that. But uh, we are actually going to begin in verse 21. And it says that there needs to be that submission one to another. But marriage is so sacred, so holy. Marriage is sanctified. It's set apart. The first institution that God gave to man, the first sacrament, many say, the first covenant that was given to man, we find back in Genesis chapter 2. It is the oldest covenant, and that is marriage. Now, let me just give you a little bit of background, because I went to the word marriage, and this is what came forth in my study Bibles. The origin of marriage, real quick. It says here that the origin of marriage was instituted by God back in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, when he declared, and here's verse 18, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. And so God institutes the marriage. So God creates the woman, her name was Eve, and he brought her to the man, which is called Adam. On seeing the woman, Adam explained, This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken from man. And that's from Genesis chapter 2, verse 23. Now this passage also emphasizes the truth that a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And that's taken from Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. Now the word joined together in one flesh is a strong Hebrew word that speaks of something that's been glued together. And it's interesting because we know in Scripture that God hates divorce. And yet Jesus was challenged by the Pharisees. But didn't Moses write... In the law, writing of divorcement. And he said, yes, he did. And he did that because of the hardness of your heart. But from the beginning, it was not so. Interesting that they did not ask the quotation in Malachi chapter 2, verse 16. It tells us that God hates divorce. When two become one flesh, the Hebrew is saying that uh, these two are glued together. Now, men, most of us have done some type of woodwork or another at one time or another, and that is to take two pieces of wood that you've, you know, worked. You've sanded. It's clean. And you get some good Elmer's glue, some good wood glue. And we know if we put those two pieces together and then we push and turn and then we place it together and even clamp it, let it set for a time. 
we know that the glues that they put together today, are, it's almost impossible uh, to break those two pieces. Now, if I tell you to separate those two pieces after you had them clamped and glued together for uh, two days, let's say. You say, well, Pastor Bob, I can't just pull them apart. But if I ask you to do everything in your power to separate that wood, you can. You'd have to get yourself a chisel. You'd have to get yourself a good hammer. And you'd have to start working at it. But sooner or later, you'll be able to break those two pieces. Now, uh, the concept is they'll break apart, but they will not be the same. You will not have that smooth surface anymore. You're going to have chipping away wood. You're going to have cracks. You're going to, it's going to look ugly, basically. It's not the two beautiful pieces that were put together. And yes, you've separated them now. That's divorce because divorce is never pretty, never glorious. There's much pain. There's much hurt. And so Paul, as he comes to the church at Ephesus, he's been emphasizing this way of life, this manner of living, this way of agape. Last week we spoke about the wisdom of God, not the wisdom of the world. And so this week and next week, husbands, listen, love your wife. Love your wife. So important that we see this. Marriage is permanent. And yet God, because of the hardness of man's heart, he has given a right of divorcement. And yes, in Scripture, if there's adultery, there's continued adultery. And I believe also that a wife, a woman should not be battered. She doesn't have to be beaten. She doesn't have to go through that so then she can get a divorce. But it was not so. It was never God's plan. And yet today in our society, and I'm speaking about the church, marriage is past the halfway point of divorce. And we're talking about the church. It's painful when we've gone through with a couple and we go through the marriage series. We, we go through the marriage books. We go through the consulate. We ask them to write, you know, paragraphs. We ask them to write essays on this. And we ask them questions and they answer and such. And we've seen it six months later, a year later. They're the same ones that come into our door. Pastor, we want a divorce. And you go back and you say, well, what happened? What happened to your promises in sickness and in health until death do us part? And, you know, we say the words. We practice the words. And yet are they in the heart. And yet God hates divorce. And so Paul, so beautifully here, in verses 21 through 33, he's going to compare the marriage to Christ as his church. And he paints a beautiful picture here. So let me just read through the text and then we're going to go back up. Verse 21, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Now we left off in verse 21 last week. And if you look at some of your study Bibles, mine does this. It actually starts speaking about marriage according to my text here in verse 22. But remember that the scriptures were written as one solid letter. 
It is man that came in and, and put the chapters. And then and when you have your study Bible, they'll say, walk in wisdom from verses 15 through 21. And then in verse 22 through verse 33, it speaks of Christ and the church, Christ and marriage. But verse 21 goes with verse 22. And so he says here, submitting one to another in the fear of God. The reason I say that, because everybody, every man that I know that knows anything about Scripture, they know verse 22. They don't know the verse exactly, but they say, ah, that submitting part. All right, preach it, brother. Wives, submit to your own husbands as unto the Lord. And let's just go on. We're going to go back and touch it. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wife, uh, just as Christ also loved the church, and he gave himself for her, that he might sanctify, uh, cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present her uh, to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should uh, be holy and without blemish, so husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies." He who loves his wife and loves, him, his, him, loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, and he goes back to Genesis. A man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And then he declares it. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, so let the wife see that she respect her husband. Let's say a quick prayer again. Father, we ask that your spirit would speak to us in clarity, that your spirit would challenge our hearts openly, and that we would be open uh, to challenge. We would be open uh, to change. We would be open uh, to the Holy Spirit's leading. In Jesus' name we pray. Husbands, love your wife. Now we're going to begin to break this down. But in order to understand this portion of love, we need to understand the importance, again, of marriage. Turn ahead with me uh, to the book of Hebrews. Before we get into verse 21, Hebrews chapter 13, verses 1, 2, 3, and 4. Because here, I believe the writer of the book of Hebrews is Paul the Apostle, and he speaks about the spirit of Christian love. And so in the book of Ephesians, we have been talking about this way of life. Here in Ephesians chapter 5 especially. This manner of life, our behavior. How is it that I act as a Christian? And Paul so beautifully has been bringing forth this, this word called love. Let everything that I do, let everything that I say, uh, let it be governed by love. Now we know that in the Greek there are basically uh, four types of love. But the love that Paul is speaking of, the love that we generally see in Scripture is called agapeo love. Agape love. We've heard the term. We've heard the word. 
It's divine love. It's, it's love that only comes from God. It's love that God places in our hearts. And so before I came to Christ, I could honestly say that I love my wife. But once I come to Christ, it's, it's this different love now. It's not just this love of affection, but it's agapeo love. It's love from the heart. And to describe agape love, it's best described in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. This love that's always giving and never wanting anything in return. But in Hebrews 13, verse 1, he speaks of brotherly love. This is the phileo love. This is that other love. He says, let brotherly love continue. The word phileo, we draw it from the city of Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. Phileo here uh, speaks of uh, having this, this kindness, this affection, this love of the brethren. We say, brother, I love you. Sister, I love you. When I speak to my wife, I love her with agape. When you speak to your wife, you love her with agape. And then Paul goes on with this type of love of affection. Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. The word to entertain here is the word hospitality. Interesting that he says be hospitable towards strangers. And obviously we're hospitable to non-strangers. And so God places that position in our heart to love. I might not agape you as Christ agape the church or as I should agape my wife. But I love you. I'm found of you. You should be found of me. We should be found of each other in the church. And we should desire as a Christian because of that love permeating in and through me. I should love others, even strangers. And I know it's not easy because we, we get in traps sometimes. But I like what he says here. For thereby some have entertained angels. How do you know God hasn't tested you? How do you know God hasn't sent somebody uh, towards you, towards your way? Oh, in the early part of my ministry, I picked up everybody. Because I wanted to fulfill Hebrews 13, uh, 2. I picked up every stranger. Oh, there's sometimes I, I want to let them out as soon as they got in. And there's some that wanted to get out as soon as I let them in. And I started sharing Jesus. I go, how far are you going? They go, next block, please. Because they don't want to hear it. And always look for feathers when you let the strangers leave. Look at verse 3 now. Remember them that are in bonds. Now, this is the love of Christ in you. That we forget not those in prison. You say, now, Pastor Bob, I can't go that far. That's true. You can't, but Christ in you can. Remember them that are in bonds as uh, bond with them. And them which suffer adversity or afflictions as being yourselves also uh, in the body. In our prayer requests, in our bulletin, we have a set of names. Some of the people in our church that are hurting. Some of the people that are very close in our church. And we know their family member. And they're hurting. The first service, there was a couple here from, uh, you know, Phoenix or the Tucson area, excuse me. And their mom's name is in there. She's dying of cancer. 
And they're just so grateful that we're praying for them. We have somebody that's had two surgeries on his back, and we're still praying for him. We have people that are, you know, taking chemotherapy right now because of the cancer. And so we pray for them. And so we're told in Galatians to bear ye one another's burdens. Okay, I can do that, Pastor Bob. But, you know, this position of those in prison, those in bonds, in a sense that I would switch places with them. Some of you know this, some of you don't know this, but in our own body right now, there's a gentleman that's been a strong part of our church, beautiful brother in our church, but two years ago he got into some trouble. And he's really been walking with the Lord in recent times, and he's tried to, you know, curtail this problem, and he's gone to some classes to take care of it and such, but at the same time he was going to court. And he was hoping that he would get probation, but he got himself into trouble. And whatever a man sows, that's what he's also going to reap. Well, he got off in a sense light, but he's still doing four months here in the county jail. And it's painful, it's hurtful, but he understands why he's there. And so we have people that are visiting him. He's got Bible studies that are going there. I know the chaplain that's there. And so things are available, but he's still incarcerated. He can't leave. He doesn't have the freedom. And so remember those that are in bonds. Now, years back when I come to Saving Grace, the first ministries that I was involved in was prison, jail, and street ministries. And I really didn't want to be part of that because, you know, I really I had no compassion for those in jail. I figured you got yourself in trouble. That's your business. And yet, look at some of us. Look at some of the things we did in our B.C. days, and it's only by the grace of God that we weren't incarcerated. And so remember those that are in prison. One of the scriptures that floored me years ago. On your own, in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus goes into this series And he says to his disciples, when I was hungry, did you feed me? When I was thirsty, did you give me to drink? When I was naked, did you give me clothes? When I needed shelter, did you uh, comfort me? And I can understand all those positions. But then he says, when I was in prison, did you visit me? And the disciples said, Jesus, when were you ever in prison? And they said, when you did this to the least of me, you did this unto me. So when you reach out to a prisoner, when you reach out to somebody that's in jail, it's like you're serving the Lord. And God honors that. He honors that. And then he goes into this next position. And what we want to deal with, look at verse 4, Hebrews 13. Marriage is honorable. If you'd like to write in your Bible, underline that, please. Marriage is honorable in all, and the bed is undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers, God's going to judge. Marriage is honorable. Marriage is holy, basically. But if you look at the Greek word for honorable, it gives you various translations. Because again, we can treat marriage like a a pair of old shoes. Well, they're wore out, I'm going to trade them in now. But the word here in the Greek, marriage is valuable. Marriage is priceless, precious, costly. 
Costly because Jesus paid the full price for that marriage. Marriage is beloved. Marriage is esteemed. Marriage is dear to God. And yet in the United States of America, we're treating marriage just a byword. Well, I'm going to work at it as long as I can. And if it's not working out, you know, uh, we're going to break up. Undesirable things. We're not compatible. Yet the Bible doesn't say that we uh, remove ourselves from that. Now, the Bible does say that if one party's in adultery uh, and continues in adultery, uh, then there is room for divorce. But as we shared out of Malachi, God hates divorce. Divorce is everywhere in the United States of America, especially in the church. And when they tried to entrap Jesus, Jesus said, Moses wrote this in the law because of the hardness of your heart. But from the beginning, it was not so. If God took the time to institute marriage back in Genesis chapter 2, listen to the importance of marriage. Remember the words that we shared in our marriage vows. Until death do us part. But so many times, listen, church, so many times we think it's so much greener on the other side. And I like what one old preacher said. The only reason it's greener on the other side is because you haven't been over there stomping all over it. And that is so true. God hates divorce and he loves marriage. So now with that in mind, let's go to our text and we begin here. Husbands, love your wife. And as I shared, maybe some of your study Bibles, you can see that it actually starts in verse 22. But verse 21 sets it up. Submitting to one another in the fear of God. Submitting to one another in the reverence of God. Here is the beginning of a godly marriage. The beginning of a godly marriage. It begins by submitting one to another in the fear of God. And obviously... Submitting first to Christ. Now the word to submit here, the word submitting, it comes from two Greek words. And it is hupotasso. The word hupo means to be submissive one to another. To be under one another. Tasso means to be obedient. So to be under in obedience one to another. To place oneself under this obedience. Here, to be under the obedience of Christ first. And then you can see how the obedience of the husband to the wife, the wife to the husband. But it first begins with being obedient to Christ by choice. Once I'm under the obedience of Christ by choice, then I can be under the obedience of the husband, or you can be under the obedience of the wife. It has to start with Christ. Now, the word hupotasso is a strong Greek word. It comes from a military term. It's a command to be under the rank of, to be under the rank as a soldier of Christ. I'm under his submission by choice, and I desire to serve. You see, nobody forces us. I come to Christ by choice. 
I come to marriage by choice. I submit to the wife. The wife submits to the husband. It should be by choice. And husbands, I'm going to be honest with you. It, it, it is so easy for the wife to be in submission to you when you are a godly man, where you, when you are under submission to Christ, when she sees that. Or it can also change. There's wives, you know, their husbands are not saved. And yet the salvation that they see, the example that they see, hupotasso. One commentary said this, you will be under submission one to another out of the reverence for Christ. As the husband and the wife both are under submission to Christ, it falls into place, and now we can read verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Again, we have to make that reference. The wife will be in submission to her own husband as she submits to Christ. And it's important that we see this. They will be in obedience. You will be in obedience. It goes both ways, guys. And then verse 23 clarifies it further, for the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. So now we see the position that God has made. And it goes back to creation. Now, let me clarify this. Nowhere does the Bible teach that man is superior to woman. The Bible does teach the place of order from creation. God has placed the responsibility to man in creation. Pastor Chuck loved the man. He's been married for many years, and obviously he's been in ministry for many years. Listen to his take in verse 23. He says this verse gives God's order for the home. But then he clarifies it. If we try to defy God's order of the home, we invite unhappiness into our relationship. Unhappiness in that relationship as a husband and a wife. And especially, there will be non-order in the house. Now, in all reality, men, we didn't ask for this. But God in creation places the man as the responsibility. We have a tremendous responsibility. Now, you know the text already. I'm going to just share the story. We've shared it many times. Back in Genesis chapter 3, we have the fall of man. The institution of marriage has taken place in chapter 2. But chapter 3, the fall of man. And we know that the serpent uh, speaks with Eve, and Eve speaks back to the serpent. And then the forbidden fruit is eaten. Interesting that it doesn't say that Adam partook, but we obviously know that he does. And then in Genesis 3, God comes into the cool of the garden, and he's looking for Adam. And basically, he says, Adam, where are you? Now, God knows exactly where Adam's at, but uh, he wants to hear confession. And guys, you know Adam's response. Finally, he says, the woman that you gave me, she caused me to partake of the fruit. But you see, the responsibility falls upon Adam. As the prophet, the priest, the king of the home. Adam, you're the responsible party. Yes, Eve partook, but you're the responsible party. And so this place of submission, the wives 
are to be in submission to the husband. But it begins with the husband in submission to Christ. The wife in submission to Christ. And again, the, the word submission is so hard, but let's, let's look at the translation. The wife in obedience to Christ. The man in obedience to Christ. And it just falls together. But if there's disobedience, it's not going to work. And so this word submission runs through the scriptures. Now I'm going to share some verses with you before we go to the next text. But I don't want you to turn with me because I don't want you to lose the concept. But you can go back and study it. But I'm just going to deal with one or two verses. And so I want to begin in 1 Peter. Just take this down. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. Listen to what Peter writes. Wives, likewise, be uh, submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without the word may be won by the conduct, the behavior, the manner of life of that particular wife. Here's what Peter is saying. Listen. If you have a non-believing husband... He can be one to Christ by your godly behavior, by your godly example. Now, ladies, if you have a husband that's non-believing, let me just share this with you. Too many wives have tried to nag their husband to saving grace. It'll never work. I'll tell you what, you need to begin to pray for that non-believer, if it's a husband or if it's a wife. You need to pray that the power of God's Holy Spirit would get a hold of them. You see, through the years, I have heard every story. And usually the wives are the ones that come to know Christ. And uh, the husbands usually are the stubborn ones, the hard-headed ones. And, you know, I don't need that. I'm a good provider. You know, I have the skills and I'm taking care of you. I'm not messing around and such and such. And yet, have they seen the example? Wives that, I, I can still remember the one husband that came to Saving Grace later, but he, he, he gives a testimony that, you know, he goes into the bathroom and his wife had gone in previously, unrolled the toilet paper, write some scripture, roll the toilet paper back up. And when he's sitting there and he pulls and he goes, scripture on toilet paper. And again, trying everything. Or the wife that would make the sandwiches for the husband uh, every morning for his lunch. And, you know, there's the two pieces of bread. There's the bologna. There's the mayonnaise. And, and there's the, you know, the cheese. And it would just go on. And she would always throw a scripture in his lunch. And he would see it at lunchtime and, you know, set the scripture aside. No big thing. But one day, I guess in her prayer and her confusion, she put the bread, the mayonnaise, the cheese, and then the scripture inside the sandwich. And the guy at break time, he's pulling on his sandwich, and there it is. You need to be born again, all full of mayonnaise. <laughs> Where's the example? Years back at Calvary Chapel of West Covina, which is now Calvary Chapel in Diamond Bar, there was a beautiful lady that had come to know Christ. Beverly was her name, and her husband was a good man. But it took him years, over 20 years, uh, to come to saving grace. But Beverly learned early. She became very uh, active in the woman's ministry. And, man, she was highly respected. 
But this woman was godly. I mean, she had, uh, you know, prayer life. She had a, a study of the word life. And I mean, everything. And she never pushed her husband. But she loved him. And he testifies now. Was her love. Was her compassion. Oh, he would go to church from time to time. And, and you know, experience some, you know, special events and such. And uh, love the church, love the pastor. But just wasn't moved to accept Christ. He thought he was okay. But it took years later. Sometimes we don't realize the importance, listen, of our example, of our example. And so Peter says, your wives likewise be in submission to your own husbands that even if some do not obey the word, they without the word may be want uh, by the conduct, by uh, the behavior of the wife. Now take down this next verse. In Colossians uh, chapter 3, verse 18, Paul begins here. And he speaks about order of the Christian home in Christ. And then he, again, he says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as it is fitting in the Lord. Verse 19, Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. Do not be bitter. The husband and the wife are not to be bitter towards each other, but loving each other as Christ loves you. Now the husband that's not believing, in a sense he's exempt, but generally they don't have that bitterness, but you can easily have it. And so be careful with this. This is the whole purpose of forgiveness. Because Christ has forgiven you, I'm able to forgive her. I'm able, you're able to forgive him. Now sometimes it doesn't happen. We have to live with that. But Adam Clark in his commentary said something very interesting about verse 19. He said this, wherever bitterness is, their love is wanting. Because there's bitterness, their love is thriving for, it's wanting. It's looking for love. And where love is wanting in the marriage, there is hell in that marriage. And it's true. And sometimes we need to let go. I've seen it where a wife and a husband have separated, and it's been because of adultery. And yet when they're willing to counsel, they're willing to work things out, they're willing to pray things through, and they forgive each other, but now they need to let it go. And in some cases, the marriage is even stronger. But let's be obvious, sometimes it just will never be the same. And the parties cannot forgive and they cannot forget. Now mark down this last verse, the book of Titus, chapter 2. And I want to just begin in verse 3. But Paul speaks to Titus and the qualities of a godly home. He begins in verse 3, The older women, uh, likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, uh, not given too much wine, teachers of good things. Now, the older women... Not necessarily in age, but the older women or the experienced women in Christ. And sometimes uh, it's younger women that have been in Christ and an older woman that comes to Christ, but she's new in Christ. And sometimes that's a hardship. 
because they can't take when somebody older or younger is ministering to you. Look at verse 4, that they admonish the young women to love their husbands, uh, to love their children. So teaching them, listen, I've been through this. Love your husband. And in reality, love them into the kingdom of God. Love your children. And if they're at the age of accountability, love them into the kingdom of God. Verse 5 concludes it, be discreet, be chaste, be homemakers, be good, be obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. That they see the Christian woman, or that they see the Christian uh, man, that they see godliness in you. Not somebody that nags, not somebody that, you know, frustrates. It's often been said that the church has been described as a big fishbowl. And it's interesting because we look at a fishbowl and we enjoy the fish in there. And the fish can do a hundred good things. But as soon as the fish does one bad thing, everybody points it out. I saw him. I saw that fish. He bit the tail of that other fish. But didn't see all the other good things. And that's natural, you see. You can do a hundred good things, but do one wrong thing, and they're never going to forget that about you. That's just natural. That's the world. And so that they see a godly man, that they see a, a godly woman. Oh, so many husbands can testify that they've been won over to Christ because of the behavior, because of the behavior. And it also goes with a believing husband that has an unbelieving wife. And so the importance here. Now let's go back to our text because we've been speaking about this submission. Look at verse 24, Ephesians 5. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands. And notice what it says, in everything. And again, church, this cannot work unless you apply verse 21 first. Be in submission one to another. As you're in submission to Christ, as you're in obedience to Christ, as the wife, as the husband, and then it just falls into place. But when one expects the other, well, you need to be in submission. Did you hear the preacher? Guys are good at it. We get them in constantly session. They come in. They've never seen verse 21 in their life. It's there, but they don't see. All they see, when are we going to get to verse 22, preacher? They love it. They love it. And the wives, they go home and they get a little exacto knife and they cut out verse 22. We don't want to read it. We're going to be submission to that creep. You'll be submission to him, pastor, not me. Well, where's the submission first? Listen, where's the submission first? To Christ. To Christ. So beautiful here. As the church is obedient to Jesus Christ, so you wives obey your husbands in everything. Now, let's clarify everything. Paul gives the example here of the church as the relationship of the marriage. And he says in everything. Here's the key. Here as everything in the Lord. If a non-believing husband asks the believing wife to do something unscriptural or illegal, you're not held under the same obedience. The Bible says we obey God rather than man. Now, 
we've heard stories. The wife is saved, born again to the Holy Spirit. The husband's not. Christmas time comes around. They have the Christmas party. And so you've gone in time past, but now you're a Christian. And you really don't want to go, but you want to be in submission uh, to your husband. And so you join the Christmas party, and all of a sudden, it's not the same anymore. You were there a year before, and you were part of it. It didn't even faze you. But now the drinking, the carousing, the cursing, I mean, just everything. It's just an offense to you. But you spend a couple of hours at the party, and you finally say to your husband, Honey, you know what? I really need to go home. If you want to stay, that's up to you, but I'm going to go home. And maybe the next year comes around, Oh, you know, honey, I really don't feel a part of that. I'll go if you want me to go, but I really don't want to go. And see, sooner or later, he'll see the example and so it's important that we see this, not in everything, but in everything in Christ. Now, if the husband is asking you to do something illegal, something unscriptural, say no. Honey, do you love me? Did you hear what the preacher said? Be in submission to me. We're going to go over to the 7-Eleven. You're going to put a bandana on. I'm going to put a bandana on. Uh, you're going to hold a gun, and we're going to rob this place. Oh, praise God. Let's go do it. No. No. Oh, honey, we'll give 10% of whatever we get. It doesn't work that way, does it? It just doesn't work that way. So common sense. Look at verse 25 and watch how Paul, again, he's clarifying it. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church. And listen to what he says. And he gave himself for her. Oh, I like this. Here's the word agape now. It's not what we were talking about back in Hebrews. And it says to be found of. Phileo. But here's agape. Husbands, agape your wife. This is divine love. Love her with the love of Christ. This type of love is always giving and never expecting anything in return. Notice that Paul says, as Christ gave himself. As Christ gave his life for the church. Now, husbands, I know what you're going to respond. Honey, we're walking down El Paseo. It's a busy day. There happens to be this four by four coming down the street, rambling down the street, making a bunch of noise, loses control, jumps the curb. It's coming towards us. I'll push you out of the way. I'll take the four by four on. Oh, that's admirable. And that's praise God. God's going to say, hey, good. But now, listen. Can you die to self at home? Honey, take out the trash. Oh, man. Honey, would you paint the garage? Oh, man. And then you try to respond back. Okay, honey, I'm going to do the yard this Saturday. You going to help me? No. But I helped you. I hate washing dishes. I hate washing clothes. But the Bible says die to self. The Bible says die to self. I still tell my wife, it's not my job to throw the trash. She says, then whose job is it? I say, well, no, it's not yours. Well, we have four kids. It's their job. There's certain things we have to die to. And don't do like I wanted to do years ago. Well, I'll wash the dishes so we get these big St. Bernard-type dogs with a big, huge tongue, and we want them to clean the dishes. No, no, no. It doesn't work that way. Some of you have tried it, I see. I'm being flippant, I know. 
But husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. Let me give you a verse that's very powerful that I read years ago. Proverbs chapter 5, verse 18. It says to me that the wife, listen, is the bride of my youth. Now, you might be on your second marriage. You might be on your third marriage. But you've come to Christ. She's come to Christ. It just didn't happen in the first marriages. Those things happen. You got divorced for whatever reasons. Those, those things happen. We can't undo the past. But now, the bride of your youth, God gave you that bride. God gave you that husband. We need to learn to die to self. And it's not easy because it's died to self in a daily basis. It's easy to die to self when you come into church on Sunday morning. It's easy to die to self when you come to church on, on Sunday night. It's easy to die to self on a Wednesday night service. But what about the rest of the week? What about the rest of the week? As Christ died for the church, am I willing to die to self for the bride? For the bride of my youth. Yes, I'll take on a truck if it's coming my way. I'll push her out of the way. You know, because that's just part of our nature. In a sense, that's easy to do. But what about dying to self? Honey, sit down. I'll make the dinner tonight. Honey, sit down. I'll clear the table. Pastor Bob, you're getting us in trouble. Honey, sit down. I'll do this. And you know, you go on and on and on. And now you can ask my wife. I don't do all those things, but I try from time to time. Because it's just our nature. You know, uh, the Bible says I'm the prophet, priest, and king of the home. But we only hear king, and we want to be King Kong of the home. That's all. But it has to learn to die uh, to self. Now, we're going to take it up to verse 26. We're going to come to the conclusion because we have so much to cover, and I want to finish it off ne next week. And then he speaks about the church in comparison to... Uh, the marriage, listen, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word. Here lies our responsibility uh, as the prophet, the priest, the king of the home. We are to sanctify her, set her apart, make her holy. Now, Christ has made the church holy. Christ has given the church righteousness. But now I'm speaking about the marriage. How do I do this? How do I cleanse her? By the washing of the word of God. The word to cleanse is to purge. Now mark down this verse in Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12. It says that God's word is alive. It's powerful. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. And it cuts to the depth of the marrow. God's word is powerful, guys. And as a prophet, priest, king of the home... Uh, praise God that you're the husband that uh, says that we're going to go to church Sunday. But what if the husband does not? What if the wife is the initiator? Somebody has to take the reins. Don't, wife, don't wait there if the husband's not going to be the initiator. You take the initiator and say, let's go to church. The husband is supposed to teach the wife. The husband's supposed to teach the children. But if he's not going to do it, then you have to do it. Somebody has to do it. And husband, if you're a Christian, you call yourself a Christian, you need to be doing these things. Too many wives are running the show, and the husband should be in charge. The husband is to be the prophet, the priest, the king of the home. 
it's important that we read the word together. It's important that we pray together. It's important that the husband take the charge. Husbands were to teach the wife. Husbands were to teach the children. And if not, then the wife is to take charge. We're living in a nation today that we desperately need godly dads. We're living in a nation today that we desperately need godly husbands. We need godly men at the workplace. It's losing its status. There's not very many. I would venture to say the statistics are great and high. There's more women in the church than there is men. Well, I don't have time for that. I have to work. I have to go to school. I have to do, you know, I have to run the business. And we make all the excuses. We need to put God first. Man, it, it falls into place. I've seen it. And in our own ministry, I've seen it in our own lives, in some of your lives. When God is placed first, it works, church. It works. When you're in submission to Christ, when she is in submission to Christ, it's so easy to be in submission one to another. And it's so easy for the wife to say, you're in charge, honey. And, you know, I don't make all the decisions at home. We sit down, we pray, we talk about it. What do you think about this? We need to be responsible. We need to be in that place of one that washes with the Word of God. The Word of God. Uh, we neglect so many times the power of God's Word. Well, that's old school, Pastor Bob. That's Old Testament. That was happening in the time of the church at Ephesus. But what about us today? Oh, how much more today? All you got to do is watch the news. Look and see how we are failing miserably. We're raising a generation of children, of kids that don't know anything about God. Where is God in the equation? And it's getting less. I hope God comes quickly, but look how fast. We used to be a nation under God. <laughs> Not as much. Not as much. We're failing. We're failing miserably. But let the ones that are here Take the reins. Let's be godly husbands. Let's be godly wives, godly young people. Well, everybody's having sex. Well, everybody's drinking. That means you're going to do it? If everybody jumps off the cliff, you're going to do it? Oh, that's different. Oh, really? Be not drunk with wine, we shared last week, but be filled with the Spirit of God. Be filled with the Spirit of God. 28 years ago, when we came to Saving Grace, Mary and I had been married already 10 years. I thought I knew everything about marriage. And so uh, a teaching seminar was going to come up. It was going to be an eight-week program at our church. And, you know, everybody was signing up and such. And the buzzword was, every, hey, did you sign up for the marriage class? Did you sign up? And I remember they came to us, and, and I looked at Mary. She looked at me, and she goes, do you want to go? I go, well, we're married 10 years. 
I figured this is for the ones that are starting out new. And so because a lot of people were signing up, we signed up, we went, and I found out the first day. Huh, I thought I knew everything about marriage. I didn't know anything. And we learned the biblical principles of marriage. And it begins by submission to God. Submission one to another. <laughs> it begins by putting Christ first. And husbands, the Bible teaches us to die to self daily. 